CNN commentators say they are baffled to learn that tens of thousands of people showed up for Donald Trump's New Jersey rally yesterday, even after elite journalists carefully exclaimed, explained to them that Trump supporters are stupid. Don Lemon said he was absolutely mystified by the development. In a statement made to a corner of his studio he couldn't find his way out of, Lemon said, quote, we just got through discussing in elaborate detail the fact that Trump supporters are idiots who don't even know how to spell or use a map. And yet, for some reason, these people are still lining up for days just to get a glimpse of the president. It's as if they don't even care what we think of them. But that can't be it. After all, we're CNN, unquote. At this point, Lemon had to discontinue his statement because the fire department had arrived to rescue him from the corner. Political consultant Rick Wilson also said he was baffled by the huge, enthusiastic turnout for Trump. Wilson unburdened himself to an empty table in the CNN cafeteria where he was yet again eating lunch by himself, saying, quote, what do we have to do to convince these people to stay away from Trump? We imitated them with fake Southern accents, but that didn't work. We joked about what morons, that morons they were, but that didn't do the trick either. We even called them funny names, and yet they seem to think they understand politics better than a man like me, who actually worked as a strategist for Evan McMullen's presidential campaign. I tell you, as elite as I am, even I sometimes don't understand these people, unquote. Trump supporters at the rally acknowledged that had they known that Don Lemon thought ill of them, they would, of course, have stayed home because of their deep respect for Don Lemon's opinion and their abiding love for the insightful journalism and commentary they always get from CNN. And if you're stupid enough to believe that, you may actually be Don Lemon. <laughs> Trigger warning, I'm Andrew Claven, and this is The Andrew Claven Show. I feel hunky-dunky, life is tickety-boo. Birds are winging, also singing, hunky-dunky-dee-doo. Ship-shaped, tipsy-topsy, the world is a bitty zing. It's a wonderful day, hooray, hooray, it makes me want to sing. Oh, hurrah, hooray, oh, hooray, hurrah. You know, I've been thinking a lot about Henry V lately, mostly because another Henry, Henry Olsen, mentioned him on his podcast. But Henry, as you know, was a 15th century king of England who helped turn England into a major military power by his victories against France in the Hundred Years' War. He was especially famous for his victory against daunting odds at Agincourt. Because of this, he was a hero to the English of the sort that, say, George Washington is to us. He was the great famous king. But Henry was also famous for something else, namely his wild, misspent youth. William Shakespeare unforgettably portrays the young Henry carousing with cowardly thieves and hard-drinking ne'er-do-wells like John Falstaff. But Shakespeare shows, too, that when Henry's father died and he assumed the throne, he left such friends behind. In one great scene in Shakespeare, he coldly tells his once close companion Falstaff, I know thee not, old man. He basically throws the guy under the bus. When Donald Trump won the 2016 election, I said I was no longer going to judge him by his past, but mentally gave him a blank page on which to write the history of his presidency. And policy-wise, I have been amazed what a great job he's done. Far more conservative than I was afraid he might be, and he's been much more effective than I ever could have expected. But has Trump become the man he should be? Has he imitated Henry V? Or were the never-Trumpers right to fear he would degrade the rest of us by his personal behavior? Well, I have been gratified to see that as the Trump presidency has progressed, some of Trump's Falstaffian friends, the Michael Cohns and David Peckers, seem to have been thrown under the bus where they belong. 
Far better men like William Barr and Mike Pompeo now surround Trump. Trump's tweets have gotten somewhat less Trumpy, and while his speeches are still hilariously pugilistic, there seem to be fewer of those careless gaffes he used to make that the press was able to twist into sounding racist. He's a little more careful than he used to be. All that said, he still mistreats people too damn much, and he entices his followers to do the same. John Bolton was a hero to Trumpians until about 15 minutes ago, and now they treat him like a brush-mustache-twirling villain. And that does degrade you. It degrades you to treat people like that. And when I talk to Trump followers in person, they admit it. They say they know it. We don't need a nice Trump. We don't even need a good Trump. He needs his nasty belligerents to fight back against the Democrats and the press and Hollywood, and the social media corporations, and your professors at university. That's why we voted for him. But for purely practical reasons, we do need a Trump who won't alienate decent voters. We need a man wise enough to leave the Falstaffs behind, but mean enough to kick ass at Agincourt. November is not far off, and Trump is still a work in progress. And I'll explain a little bit more what I mean, but first, let us talk about your watch. You know, by the way, I I was reading this article in the Wall Street, I think it was in the Wall Street Journal, about the fact that people still look at your watch to determine what kind of person you are. It's a status thing, and if you get a Vincero, you can get a lot of status for not that much money. Vincero knows how important it is to look and feel your best, and if you're looking to upgrade your look, you don't have to waste money on a cheap cookie uh, cutter watch that doesn't get you noticed. Finding a watch that's stylish, bold, and built to last can cost a pretty penny, but Vincero's watches are changing that. Vincero believes you deserve to look good no matter your budget. You can see there's a really, I'm wearing one right now, and you can see it is a really nice looking watch. Don't overpay for a watch that looks cheap and disappoints. You get a time, you get a timepiece you will use, and and, uh, and a timepiece that will last. Vincero offers free shipping, 30-day returns, and guarantees your watch for two years. Head over to VinceroWatches.com slash Clavin. Check out my favorite picks and take advantage of my special discount while you shop. Remember to use the code Clavin. This deal really is too good to pass up. Get the year started the right way. Go to V-I-N-C-E-R-O Watches.com forward slash Clavin. Use my discount code Clavin for a discount at checkout. Do not pay full price on these beautiful timepieces. Use my code Clavin at checkout. They spell Vincero for you, but anybody can spell Vincero. How do you spell Clavin? Now, when I talk about Donald Trump, I'm not being, you know, nasty to Trump. I love what Trump has done with his presidency. I'm just being tragically realistic. The bind we're in, and it is a tragic bind, is we needed someone crazy enough, mean enough, pugilistic enough to fight back against this incredible atmosphere created by a left-wing press, a left-wing Hollywood, a left-wing academy, all the things, the left-wing social media— uh, the uh, problem with other Republicans is they simply just accept this and slowly let the country drift left because that's its natural drift. The natural drift is to more government and less freedom. And Trump fights back against that. But in being that guy, he also is sometimes just so nasty that he it doesn't appeal to women voters, for instance, and, you know, independent voters, people who might come over. Uh, you know, I always I always tease Shapiro. I say he's an idealist. That's why he's always depressed, because things are not as good as they could be. I'm a tragedian. I see that not everything has a happy ending. Not everything has a happy solution. And that makes me cheerful because I know that things aren't as bad as they could be. How so, dare you? <laughs> so Trump tweets, Trump tweets about John Bolton. You know, the Bolton really has this book. We still don't even know what's in it. It seems really vague. There's a video that's just going around now 
that shows Bolton saying Trump's relationships with uh, Ukraine, the Ukrainian president, were cordial. He wasn't complaining about it then. Now, according to the New York Times in this book, he says that there was a quid pro quo. We know there was a quid pro quo. That's silly. But uh, we just don't care because Trump has the right to ask Ukraine to investigate corruption, even if it includes Joe Biden, as it probably did. But now Trump tweets out about John Bolton for a guy who couldn't get approved for the ambassador to the U.N. years ago, couldn't get approved for anything, begged me for a non-Senate approved job, which I gave him despite many saying, don't do it, sir. He takes the job, mistakenly says Libyan model on TV, and many more mistakes of judgment gets fired because, frankly, if I listen, it would be... World War Six by now and goes out and immediately writes a nasty and untrue book. You know, I, I mean, first of all, Bolton couldn't get approved because the Democrats wouldn't approve him because he was too tough. And it's just it's just not the way it's not the way you want to treat people, people like Bolton, who, again, if you go back and look at Fox News, they loved John Bolton because he was so tough. He was so tough and so hawk-like. I said when he got appointed, I hope Trump doesn't, I hope, I'm glad he's in there, but I hope Trump doesn't listen to him. That is exactly what Trump did. Trump treated Bolton exactly the way I wanted him to. I think it's good to hear that hawk opinion. It's good to have that in your ear, but I like the fact that Trump doesn't want to get in uh, in trouble. All I'm saying is this. It, it is a tragic fact that I do not believe any other Republican could have beaten Hillary Clinton because the Republicans have been so browbeaten by the press that they're afraid. They're afraid to speak. They're afraid to say what they think is on their mind. They're afraid everything they say is going to be twisted uh, to make them sound racist. We know this is true. We needed somebody. You know, I wrote this novel, Empire of Lies, and it's called Empire of Lies because in it, once one person says in an empire of lies, it takes a crazy man to tell the truth and they don't get you for telling the truth. They get you for being crazy. And that is exactly the situation that Trump is in. It's, it's like a, a prediction of Trump coming. We needed somebody like this. We needed somebody to break the grip, to expose the press, to show us how unfair they are. And they have certainly come out nakedly unfair, nakedly partisan. He has brought them out from under their rocks, so there's no hiding them anymore. It is a great, great thing he has done with the press. They deserved it. They needed it. It's spectacular. But all I'm saying is we've got this election coming up and he doesn't have to be a nice guy. In fact, he can advertise that he's not a nice guy. He just has to be good enough to make people feel they can vote for him without being afraid. That is all I'm saying. So let's take a look at the, the latest uh, thing in the impeachment because I thought it was pretty comical. They're coming to the end. They came to the end of the defense, right? And it, it, the great, my favorite thing was uh, was Cipollone put out this uh, this wonderful this is as they were finishing off the finishing off the defense. He put out this wonderful Pat Cipollone put out this wonderful montage of what the Democrats had said in the past during the Clinton impeachment. And then Cipollone makes his final comment. Here it is. There must never be a narrowly voted impeachment or an impeachment supported by one of our major political parties and opposed by the other. Such an impeachment will produce the divisiveness and bitterness in our politics for years to come and will call into question the very legitimacy of our political institutions. This is unfair to the American people. By these actions, you would undo the free election that expressed the will of the American people in 1996. In so doing, you will damage the faith the American people have in this institution and in the American democracy. I expect history will show that we've lowered the bar on impeachment so much. We have broken the seal on this extremely extreme, extreme penalty so cavalierly. 
that it will be used as a routine tool to fight political battles. My fear is that when a Republican wins the White House, Democrats will demand payback. You were right. Got <laughs> <laughs> so that's that was Jerry Nadler, right? Uh, obviously, a big uh, anti-Trumper. Zoe Lofgren, who was in the House, manager, is one of the prosecutors, and Chuck Schumer, of course. Uh, excellent, excellent point. Uh, just completely made them look like idiots because this is a completely partisan impeachment. But here's the funny thing that's happening, okay? Mitch McConnell comes out and he says he doesn't have enough votes to block witnesses. This is obviously the big fight that's going on. There are people, they're losing the usual suspects, Mitt Romney and Susan Collins and Lisa Murkowski, other people, Lamar Alexander in Tennessee, other people who have difficult elections coming up. They're saying, well, you know, maybe we'll need the witnesses. And they're, they're, they're panicking because, again, we still don't exactly know what is in this Bolton thing. But to me, it just proves that Trump was right. But but here's the other side, okay? You now have at least three Democrat senators reportedly considering acquitting Trump of the charges leveled against him. So you've got the usual suspects here, too. Joe Manchin in West Virginia, big Trump state. He's got a, you know, he can't be seen as too partisan. Uh, Kristen Sinema of Arizona and Doug Jones of Alabama, who, of course, got in there in a special election and is really uh, in danger of being tossed out on his ear. So all of these guys are saying that, oh, well, maybe we'll acquit Trump. But the other one, is Dianne Feinstein. The LA Times tweeted, right, that Dianne Feinstein became the first Democrat to suggest that she could vote to acquit President Trump despite serious concerns about his character, saying there's nine months left to go and the public should judge. Then Feinstein responded, saying the LA Times misunderstood what I said today before the trial. I said, I keep an open mind. Now that both sides have made their cases, it's clear the president's actions were wrong. Uh, That can't be allowed to stand. So it's a little unclear what she's doing. But it's clear that suddenly there's a little bit less enthusiasm if when Mitch McConnell, who is one canny dude, I mean, he is he is really a very canny politician. He comes out and says, well, we may need to get witnesses. We may need to look at witnesses. Now, listen to what Ari Melber, right? This is a stone left winger from uh, MSNBC. Listen to what Ari Melber said after the trial. The trial was over, essentially. I do not see an overwhelming case and overwhelming evidence by these Democrats to support convicting on, uh, on obstructing Congress. And I'll tell you why. I was just going to ask you. Well, at the end, and this is important, because each of these are independent. Obviously, like any trial, one would be enough. One conviction would be enough. That would potentially remove a president. But on the obstruction of Congress, what the Democrats are arguing is that basically something that began three months before they actually voted to impeach should now be resolved by the removal of the president. And in every other case, including Nixon, we know the rule has been the president is allowed to fight within the law, is allowed to deny and, and yes, quote, defy all the way up and until the Supreme Court, which takes often more than a year. So is there enough evidence to support the immediate removal of a president. Three months and you're gone as a president. I haven't seen them land that. I don't see the Democrats having provided enough evidence yet. Wow. <laughs> so why when Mitch McConnell is saying he doesn't may not have enough uh, votes to stop there being witnesses, why is suddenly the Democrats coming out and saying, well, maybe I'll quit? Why is MSNBC saying they haven't proved the case? Because they don't want witnesses. 
I mean, that's the last thing they want. They want one thing. They want the Republicans to vote for no witnesses. They want the Republicans to vote for no witnesses so they can campaign for the rest of the year on cover-up. That is what they want. Why don't they want witnesses? Because there's just no way you can make the argument. I know they keep trying. I know Adam Sch- Adam Schiff will say anything, right? The guy will say anything that comes out of it, that he can think of that comes out of his mouth. But but you cannot make the argument that John Bolton should come on and say, yes, Trump was holding back aid to Ukraine because he wanted investigations and say, oh, but you can't investigate. You can't have witnesses saying whether there was something to investigate. You can't call Hunter Biden. So they don't want that because if they lose Joe Biden, what have they got? They've got Bernie and Bernie is surging and they are in a panic about it. They are terrified that Bernie is going to get the nominee. So Project Veritas is still releasing these videos, these secret tape videos of Bernie Sanders workers saying the radical things that they say. And I'll take a look at those in just a minute. But first, let me talk about inevitable uh, car shield, about car shield, which you need. Okay, cars to, you know, it used to be that I could fix a car. It used to be that I could open the trunk, take a screwdriver and fix anything that was in the car. Today, forget about it. It is a computer. You need highly skilled technology and it's expensive. Cars today are computers on wheels. They have electronically controlled uh, transmissions, touchscreen displays. If they break, it is expensive. CarShield has affordable protection plans that can save you thousands for a covered repair, including computers, GPS, electronics, and more. You get to choose your favorite mechanic or dealership to do the work, and CarShield takes care of the rest. CarShield coverage gets you back on track in no time. They offer complimentary 24-7 roadside assistance and a rental car while yours is being fixed. CarShield has helped over 1 million customers. Don't wait until your check engine light comes on. Get covered by CarShield today. Call 800 car 6000 800 car 6000 and mention code claven or visit carshield.com and use code claven to save 10%. That's carshield.com code claven. A deductible may apply, but don't deduct how you spell claven because you need to know it's K L A V A N. There are no E's in Claven. I just, there are no E's in Claven. I just, I just said that. Yeah, I just make it look this incredibly easy. So, Project Veritas is still releasing secret videotapes of Bernie uh, Sanders workers saying these incredibly, uh, these incredibly violent and leftist things. Play Daniel Taylor. Here's a new one. You all look so so mild-mannered, but boy, you've got fire in your belly, don't you? (laughs) Well, I think, you know, we don't want to scare people off. So you kind of got to feel it out first before you get into the crazy stuff. But um, what kind of crazy stuff? Tell me. You know, we were talking about, you know, more more extreme organizations and stuff like Antifa. You know, you're talking about the Yellow Vests and all that. But, you know, we're kind of keeping that, keeping that in, the, in the back burner for right now. Communism hasn't worked because it hasn't been tried yet. <laughs> so you vote, vote for Bernie now, but we'll get the violence later. We'll get the terrorism later. They're all saying this, and he is surging. The young people love him because, listen, this is all the left coming home to roost. The left professors taught these students to be stupid communists, taught them to be ignorant of what communism is, and now they're supporting Bernie. And if they get Bernie in there, I think Trump will t- bounce him down the street like a basketball. You never know. Politics always has surprises, but most people are grown-ups. Most people are not going to vote for this communist with all these guys basically proclaiming that they are just the front 
for a violent political overthrow of the American movement. They don't like America. They say the Soviet Union was much, much better than everybody thinks. That's why they're terrified. That's why they don't want witnesses taking Joe Biden, their one guy left, who people might vote for out of the race. And that's what you're seeing in the impeachment trial. Meanwhile, Trump keeps doing stuff. I mean, this is the amazing thing. While they're impeaching him, he kills terrorists in Iran. He's got, you know, he's got uh, the NAFTA, the new NAFTA deal he just signed. And he's got this new uh, peace proposal from Israel. I should say it's um, it's what's his name? Uh, Jared Kushner's proposal. But it is interesting because the left covered this. The press covered this as if it were a disaster. Oh, it's so it's so anti-Palestinian, so pro-Israel. But that's ridiculous. Up till now, American uh, American peace proposals for Israel have basically flattered the Palestinians that one day they were going to be allowed to kill all the Jews. That was basically the underpinning. It's like here's some money, and we're not really taking anything away from you, and uh, you know we'll we'll give you all this stuff, and everything will be fine. And the Jews, the Israelis, just got the short end of the stick. And this is at least a rational peace plan. It, it does force the Israelis and even Bibi, you know, Netanyahu, it even it says to him, you've got to say there's going to be a two-state solution. That is a big deal for a right-winger like Netanyahu that's going to cost him with his base, you know, that is, but it's something that he would have to say to sign on to this. But it also gives, uh, Pal- it, it has Palestinians controlling a lot less territory than they would have under the 1967 borders. Uh, it it doesn't require the Israelis to evacuate their settlements in the West Bank. It demands that Hamas, the terrorist group that controls Gaza, uh, be disarmed. And Israel would control the Jordan River Valley that it says is vital to security. Here's Trump describing uh, what is in, the, is in the plan. Our proposal provides precise technical solutions to make Israelis, Palestinians and the region safer and much more prosperous. My vision presents a win-win opportunity for both sides, a realistic two-state solution that resolves the risk of Palestinian statehood to Israel's security. Today, Israel has taken a giant step toward peace. Under this vision, Jerusalem will remain Israel's undivided, very important, undivided capital. But that's no big deal, because I've already done that for you, right? We've already done that, but that's okay. It's going to remain that way. And the United States will recognize Israeli sovereignty over the territory that my vision provides to be part of the state of Israel. Very important. So, you know, basically, this is I don't know if it's going anywhere. The Palestinians are already saying a thousand times, no, we're not doing it. But it reverses the bad old Jew hating days of Barack Obama. It's poking the eye to the U.N. who declared Israel in violation of every uh, law in the universe. It is basically firming up. Uh, America's support for Israel, an important thing. And whether it goes anywhere or not, I don't know. But it's no worse. It's certainly got as good a chance, if not better, than anything that's been put out before. Honey is something you want on your computer. It is easy to put it on. You slip it right on, and then it basically goes through 
looking for deals for anything you buy. I'm on Amazon all the time. I buy books constantly and it just pops up and says, hey, we have a deal for this. We have a coupon that'll get you some money off and you can save a lot of money. Honey has found it's uh, over 18 million members, over $2 billion in savings. That's not for individuals. That's all together. But still, it's easy to use. It supports over 30,000 stores online, including Macy's, Target, Sephora, Best Buy, and more. And users love Honey. That's why it has over 100,000 five-star reviews on the Google Chrome store. It's just easy to use, easy to install, and it finds deals for you and saves you money. What else do I have to tell you? Using Honey feels pretty great. It's like a video game quietly tallying up points, except Honey is real life. It's just a little daily victory. Plus, it's free to use and installs in just a few seconds. Get Honey for free at joinhoney.com slash Andrew. That's joinhoney.com slash Andrew. Andrew, let it, for some more commentary. Now, if there's one thing we love to do here, it's bring on our competitors. <laughs> but in this case, he's a competitor I happen to like very much. He's a very funny guy, Stuber Gear. Uh, he dis- dissects and debunks leftist propaganda with a lethal blend of wind. I hope it's not lethal. I mean, he's a very funny guy, but I don't want to die for him. I mean, he's got a new show. Uh, Stu Does America, uh, 7 p.m. ET on the Blaze TV every weekend, uh, every weekday, sorry, every weekday at uh, www.stewdoesamerica.com. You can find him. Sue, it's good to see you. Good to see you, Andrew. Thanks for having me on, man. I appreciate it. First of all, I have to ask you about your Nancy Pelosi pen, because you've (laughs) made more money on this uh, in like 20 (laughs) minutes than I've made all year. What did you do? Well, uh, we now here at Blaze Media are no no longer a media company. We are now a pen sales company. (laughs) <laughs> it is, it's amazing. I mean, you know, we watched this Nancy Pelosi, this whole charade go down with the impeachment. It's amazing. And she, it was a very solemn event, if you remember, uh, Andrew. <laughs> perfect, very perfect, solemn, yeah. very solemn. And then she's handing out pens to everybody. And you don't celebrate, you know, solemn events with party favors. That's not what you're supposed to do. And I think the American <laughs> people recognize that. Um, and I just saw that it was such so pretentious, you know, these black and gold pens with Nancy Pelosi, her own signature on the pen that she used to write each individual letter. It was just intolerable to me. So I thought it'd be funny if we had replica pens made up that were almost, yeah, I mean, almost exact replicas with one minor difference. After Nancy Pelosi's signature in the same font, it just says "sucks." Uh, so, so, so we made these up, and like I, I don't think they took me seriously when I went in there and said, "I want to make Nancy Pelosi sucks pens." Um, and they eventually folded to this demand. I think thinking that we'd sell maybe ten of them, uh, but now Nancy Pelosi sucks pen dot com is up. It's a very Available. You can buy these things because we kept getting this. Uh, we made this really ridiculous, like fake commercial, like the Obama, you know, collector plates commercials. Um, and uh, the number one comment was, "Oh man, if these things were real, I would, I would get so many." And I, I was like, "Just click the link, man. It, they're real. They're actually made. You can have them. You can annoy your liberal friends, friends by the dozens with Nancy Pelosi sucks pen. There, there you go. So, do you, you know, I was talking today about the fact that I worry sometimes with Donald Trump that we need him to be as belligerent he is as he is, to fight the press and to fight the incredible bias against him. But sometimes that puts off voters. Are you, when you watch this impeachment, where do you think Trump stands with the mainstream voters in in America at this point? Yeah, you know, I mean, I think a lot of that stuff does 
turn people off. I mean, you know, sometimes I think like I wish he would leave us, you know, leave the the ridiculous nonsense to people like you and I. We can make advice, our yeah. <laughs> you know, because I do think there is. I, I don't think Donald Trump loses voters if he tweets less offensively. Like, I mean, the people who like Donald Trump are there. They believe in him, and you know, he's done a much better job than I, for one, expected going into office. Yeah. Uh, you know, he's exceeded my expectations by a good amount. Um, so I think he, you know, with the performance wise, he could win a lot of those people over. There's there's certain a percentage of people who just aesthetically are never going to come along to his uh, to his movement because of the way he acts. I don't think it's a positive for him. Um, it does, however, uh, he does have an ability to shake it up and cut through that media with it, with it, and, and go directly to the people. And I think that stuff is a little bit slogany. I think at times, oh, he's a fighter and he's going to go directly to the people. But it is effective because people, even if they don't follow these things, and you know how many people don't, if they're not following the ins and outs, at least they're getting something out of this where they can they can stand up and they say, someone's standing up for what I believe in, and sometimes that's that's enough. Yeah, it does make a difference. See, do you, what do you think of the impeachment? How do you think he comes out of this? I mean, I think he's going to do well. I, you know, I'm kind of a, a, on the Bolton part of this, I, I think, is interesting in that I, I can understand why they're fighting against it, right, for him testifying, because you want to get it over with. They're, they're, I think they're winning this with the American people. People yeah. are not won over by this case. The Democrats have not been able to come up with enough. Will you pull off maybe one or two Republicans? Perhaps. I don't know. But to me, I actually think that Bolton testifying might be a good thing strategically for Trump, because this is not a choice between Trump, uh, Bolton's case coming out or it's not coming out. He's written a book. This case, they're going to have to deal with whatever he's saying in this book at some point anyway. So why not do it in a venue where you can question back, you can do tough questions to him and push him wherever you feel is necessary. And then in addition to that, you're going to probably have him come out, say his thing, uh, then you're going to follow that by an acquittal, and then his book's going to come out and it's going to be old news. Mm. You're going to have an acquittal after what he's already said anyway. So I feel like strategically it might be worth it. Plus, I, you know, of course, I'm, I'm a person who wants to know the truth, and I, I want to know if this guy's got something to say, let him come out and say it. So far, what I've heard, even from the book, I, I don't see anything that's close to impeachable on this. Um, but, I mean, hey, I, you know, I, I don't mind hearing the voices. I wouldn't mind hearing from Hunter Biden and the whistleblower and a bunch of other people, too. Yeah, and they could all go on TV if they wanted to and tell us everything they need to know. Stubergear, really funny commentary. Sure. Always good to talk to you uh, over at The Blaze with a new show, uh, 7 p.m. Eastern time on The Blaze every weekday, every weekday. Stu does America. Stu, it's great to see you. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. This is the other thing that gets me about uh, about Bolton is that he could just go on television and talk to Fox News and tell everybody everything he has to say and save us all a lot of time. And then we'd know uh, whether <laughs> whether it was worth hearing from him um, in Congress. I mean, it just seems like that would be the simple way to deal with it. All right. Let us talk about something uh, quite serious for a minute, which is abortion. Since the passing of Roe v. Wade, over 60 million Preborn children have been killed in the womb. 60 million children who never had a chance to give the world their love and countless young women who have been harmed physically and emotionally. When Ben Shapiro streams his podcast live from the March for Life in D.C. last year, our advertisers were targeted by left-wing media watchdogs, and we lost a lot of revenue. This wasn't the first time that happened, and it won't be the last time that we are attacked in a censorship attempt to shut down the fight for life. And sadly, we're also not the only targets. Live action is one of the biggest voices in the pro-life movement. They continue to do some of the most important work in the space 
from raising awareness and education on the abortion issue to undercover videos that expose Planned Parenthood and other abortion clinics for horrific human rights abuses. They have been banned from advertising on Twitter for their calls to defund Planned Parenthood, and they've been banned from Pinterest altogether for, quote, spreading medical misinformation. They've also seen their advertising efforts and their online distribution restricted depending on the platform. That is why our DailyWire.com members are so important. Your membership helps keep our cameras on and our microphones turned up even when the left pressures our sponsors. That's why from now until January 31st, a portion of any DailyWire.com membership will be donated to Live Action with promo code LIVEACTION to support awareness and education around the world on this issue. This is your last chance, so head on over to DailyWire.com and make your pro-life voice heard. Listen, there's only a few days left to take advantage of this, so join DailyWire.com and make your pro-life voice heard before it's too late. Hey, we have the mailbag coming up. You will want to hear that because all your problems will be solved, which will improve your day enormously. So come on over to dailywire.com. While you're there, subscribe, then you can be in the mailbag next week, which is a little uncomfortable, but you get to ask a lot of questions. Come over to dailywire.com. All right, the mailbag. <laughs> there it is. That's you. You will sound like that momentarily as I solve all your problems uh, from John uh, Coach Andrew. If we see Trump as a nasty fullback who has blown a hole in the left's defensive line, who might qualify as a more refined running back who can rush through that hole and carry the conservative ball downfield? Nikki Haley, Dan Crenshaw, someone else. Um, you know, I, I, I like Nikki Haley a lot. I I'm I'm worried that she is not. She's very appealing and she could win. And that's an important thing, you know. I'm worried that she's not as conservative as I would like. Uh, you know, she she served really well in the U.N., but the U.N. is such a rotten uh, organization, so anti-Semitic, uh, so nasty against America and against American interests that in some ways it was hard for her to be on the wrong side of history. I mean, she was going to do the right thing. I'm not always convinced that she is the kind of really small government person who will follow up on what Donald Trump uh, did. But, you know, again, she's an appealing person. I love Dan Crenshaw. I'm not sure he's ready yet, but he, you know, it's very hard for somebody to go from being congressman to being president. But nowadays with a guy going from being a TV show star to being president, maybe anybody can do it. He is a very impressive guy. He's definitely the future of the party. He's certainly the future of conservatism. And I like him a lot. And he's thoughtful. He's flexible. I like him. I like Tom Cotton uh, as well. I think he is really good. You know, whether he has uh, what it takes to be on the, the national stage, it's always an open question. You know, you just never know. These guys, it's a part of it is just the way you look on TV nowadays. And that's a sad thing to say, but it's true. But I like Tom Cotton and I like Ben Sass. Ben Sass a lot, too. Ben Sass is a guy of integrity. He has said what he has to say. Uh, he has not always been in Trump's pocket, but he has always been, you know, a voice for conservatism. Uh, and those are people I see going forward. Uh, and I'm sure there are more that I'm just not thinking of. But those are two who come to mind. And certainly Dan Crenshaw. I think Crenshaw is great. He really impresses me. Um, all right. From Eric, Supreme Leader of the Multiverse, I wanted to ask you a question about religion, uh, particularly because you became a man of faith late in life. I was raised in the Mormon in a Mormon religious household, and I was a full-time missionary. Now I'm 23, and I'm struggling with a lot of doctrinal and policy aspects about the church that I no longer agree with. 
because of the way the church is organized, I'll likely be effectively kicked out for holding or not holding these certain beliefs. I still read and believe the scriptures. I know God exists and that he loves me. I still accept Christ as my savior, but I still feel lost. What advice do you have for someone like me whose lifelong faith has been shaken and feels like his beliefs don't align with any denomination anymore? Thank you for all you do. I've been listening to you for almost three years and I've loved every episode. Well, thank you. And I have um, a fairly offbeat approach to this. I mean, maybe because I did come to faith late in life, maybe because I'm a Jew who became a Christian, which is a long distance to travel, and it took a lot of convincing, a lot of thinking, a lot of reading over the years, and a lot of experience before I came to my conclusions. My conclusion is this. My conclusion is that Jesus was who he said he was, and that the Gospels are largely true, are largely a description of true events. Everything I see in life is confirmed by what I read in the Gospels. In other words, I do not believe that the moral universe can be explained without looking at the Gospels and saying, well, this certainly could be true, and I think it is true and proves, uh, and proves its point by the effect it's had on life. That said, what I think that has happened when that I feel like Jesus is a, a cosmic event, his life, his works, his death, his resurrection are a cosmic event. So they're like a cosmic spiritual atom bomb going off. When an atom bomb goes off, there's immediate effect right around the area, and then it spreads out into the atmosphere and becomes part of the atmosphere. And that's what I feel has happened. History has changed. Our sense of time has changed. Our sense of one another has changed. And our sense of what a religion is has changed. The Christian religion is not like any other religion in the sense that it's not a religion at all. It really is a vehicle for spreading this word, this good news of what has happened in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's the way I look at it. So I don't care about the church. I don't care if the church, that's why I'm not a Catholic. I mean, my, I believe in the Nicene Creed. I could have become a Catholic on that alone, but I don't believe that if the Pope says something, I have to listen to it. If I'm reading scripture, if I'm praying, if I'm reading other documents to under, so I have a true understanding of what scripture says, I believe that that and my conscience informed by prayer are just as powerful as what any authority says. I do believe in church. I do believe in going to church. We are not alone. None of us exist in a vacuum. We are part of the body of Christ, right? And in order, you can't experience that in a room by yourself. You have to experience it with other people, and that's what church is for. So when I look at, at when I look to a church, what I try to find is a church where the spirit is alive, where the people are seriously and soberly looking into scripture and trying to find out what it means. If they are like the Episcopal, I went to an Episcopal church, but now I feel the Episcopal church is basically looking at the Democrat, uh, you know, platform and then trying to plug scripture into that. And that doesn't interest me at all. They're not preaching the gospel. When you preach the gospel, even you don't have to be right. I don't have to agree with you. I just have to know that you are looking at the gospel and trying to understand what it means. And I will get something of that. And that will bring the spirit to that place. And I will be with other people in the spirit. That's what I'm looking for. So that's my approach. You know, I, I know that especially Catholics get angry at me about this because I love so much of what they say, but I can't join their church because of this. But I just feel that you should be in a church where you feel that they are your fellow Christians, your fellow Christ followers are looking at Scripture in an honest way and trying to follow that. You don't have if 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 you go off the rails and you say, well, I disagree with this and they throw you out of the church, find another church. Okay, if they don't want you. That's on them. Right. But just go to the place like I just go to a place where I think the preacher and the people are looking at the gospel and saying, what does this mean? 
What does this mean? And they can look at it different ways. You know, there are different ways to look at it. You can look at it historically. You can look at it politically if you want. I don't particularly like that. Or you can look at it as a, you know, personal thing. What does this mean for my personal life? There are all kinds of different ways to look at the gospel because it's a cosmic story. It is a huge event. And so there are all kinds of different ways. It's been 2,000 years. They still haven't finished figuring it out and talking about it. So I just look for seriousness of purpose and adherence to what is in the book, what is it actually written down, because it's the only information we have. So listen, I, I don't want to tell you what to do, but that's that's how I look at it, and I think it, it works a lot for me. Um, from Sophia, I hope you can give me some good advice, because I've been trying to figure out uh, what to do for a long time. I was close with my sister when I was young. We got older. We grew apart. She moved to another city. We always called each other. Uh, and I would visit her, and we tried to maintain a good relation, but that all changed in 2016 with the election of Donald Trump. I'm a conservative. I support the president. Uh, my sister and I never talked about politics, but one day she completely ghosted me, and when I confronted her, she told me that she would not speak to me because I'm pro-life and support conservative causes. I want to have a relationship with her, but I don't want to force anything. Should I keep trying? Uh, how, do I, how do I go forward to keep a relationship with her? Uh, listen, I know what you're talking about. I have this experience in my own life. It's very painful. To me, it's foolishness personified. Donald Trump will come and go, but your family, the people you love, these are the things that are important in life. When you're on your deathbed, you're not going to care whether you supported Donald Trump or didn't. You are going to care whether you have a relationship with your sister. Uh, and I just think that that should trump, so to speak, every, everything else. And I think your sister is being foolish. That said, you cannot control her. You cannot control her. You can't force her to do anything. And you can't um, maintain a relationship while she's treating you badly. Here's what I would do. I mean, you, you've got to make your own decisions. But what I would do in this case is I would write one letter to her. And it would say this. I love you. I want a relationship with you. I know we disagree. We don't have to talk about politics. You know, I'm not going to change my mind. I don't expect you to change your mind. But it's important to me because I love you to have a relationship with you. After that, if she doesn't respond to that, I would let it be. I'd continue to send her birthday cards. I'd continue to send her a note from time to time, but don't expect anything in return. And just remember, you can't control her, and she is, is not going to be able to control you. You, you know, you just can't force her to have a relationship with you. So you've got to accept that. You know, it's a tragic thing. You have to grieve it. You have to have grief over it and then move on. Take one crack at, um, at healing the breach and then let it go. Uh, greetings to the ultimate from Lynn. Greetings to the ultimate uh, ruler of the multiverse on another kingdom. You said the idea came to you in a flash. How? Several question marks. The story is so complicated. The character is so complex. The arc so multi-layered. My question is: Were you praying at the time? Because the only way uh, the highly complex story came to you in a flash would be through divine intervention. It seems to me, uh, and goes on to talk about the story and religious implications she finds in it. Uh, I, I totally believe that. I totally believe it was a gift from God. I really do. Not only that, the idea to put it on a podcast, I actually went and prayed at one point and said, God, I don't want to do this. I don't want to put it on a podcast. I don't think it's going to work. I think it's going to be humiliating. I think it's going to be a failure. But you, I know you're telling me to do this, so I leave it all on you. It's like your success. If it succeeds, it's your failure. If it fails, I'm out of it. I know you're telling me to do it, so I'm going to do it. I did it uh, first, really just Knowles and I doing it together almost uh, with help from the guys here, uh, the sound guys here. And now it's become a big deal. And it has been a huge success. It's been it's had hundreds of thousands of uh, fans and followers. And the letters I'm getting are so powerful and so emotional. People are so moved by it. So, yes, I think it is completely a God delivered thing. And that's why I keep saying the devil hates this book. He really does seem to. All right. From uh, Jonathan. 
question. Hello, Andrew, with the E left out because there are no E's in Cleveland. Uh, with the Super there Bowl, are no <laughs> with the Super Bowl coming up, and my team finally in it, I wanted to ask if you had any thoughts on the game. Do you have a feeling of who will win? Who is your favorite player to watch in the game, and why is it Patrick Mahomes? <laughs> That's great, Patrick Mahomes. Listen, there are a lot of things that can happen to a quarterback. Uh, not just injuries, but also the other side can start to figure him out and defeat him. We've seen this again and again. But Patrick Mahomes looks great. I mean, he just looks terrific. And it would not surprise me if he went on to become one of the greats. Again, so many things can happen before that happens. So he's got it's always an uphill climb. But he is a really, really talented guy. I think Kansas City has a big chance. Uh, I still I got to be honest, I I, I like um uh, what's his name? Garoppolo uh, over at San Francisco. But I still haven't forgiven San Francisco for Colin Kaepernick. And I still haven't forgiven them for tossing Alex Smith out for Colin Kaepernick. And I love Andy Reid. I love Andy Reid. I love the fact that he kept Alex Smith and gave him a chance and built a team around him and got very close to winning. I think that he is a great uh, coach. He's already won. A, he's already won one Super Bowl, I guess, with uh, Green Bay. He he did. He used, he did not win a Super Bowl? All right, they're telling me to go back there, but I thought he did with Green Bay, but maybe not. I think he's just a great coach, and I would love to see him win, and I would love to see Kansas City win, and I'd love to see Patrick Mahomes f- fulfill what seems to be his potential. I hope you're right about this, guys, because I thought he had uh, he had won one. All right, um, from Jacob. Um, your show has done a lot for me over the years, so thank you for it. Please continue to do it as long as you can. I have a crush on a girl at my university. I really admire her. She's a cheerleader and one of the smartest women I know. Uh, however, she has a boyfriend. She hasn't told me that directly, but there are ways of finding this out. What do I do about how I feel? If I wait long enough, it will blow over, but I'm getting close to 30 now and haven't been in a relationship since I was 19, and that only lasted four months. I want to act on my feelings because I've lived in my head for too long. I understand that sometimes it's un- inappropriate to act on feelings. Uh, do you see a bigger problem for me here? Well, yes, I, d- I actually do see something going on here. Uh, if you are close to 30 and haven't been in a relationship since you were 19, that only lasted four months and you're living in your head all the time, that's what you should be working on. There's nothing morally wrong. If you don't know she has a boyfriend, there's nothing nothing morally wrong with asking her out. She can always say, I have a boyfriend. And if she has a boyfriend and lies about it, then that will be something that you want to know. But I think you ought to be working on yourself a little bit. I'm always hesitant to recommend therapy, but I, I think that you should be working on yourself a little bit and get out out of your head. I think that you should find out why you haven't had a relationship and find out what's going on and why you have this now problematic, uh, why you're having such a hard time approaching her. It shouldn't be this hard. You know, there are ways to meet ladies that you like. There, you know, there's churches and groups and even uh, online stuff, which I actually recommend if it's uh, good online stuff. And so I think that you should work on yourself a little bit, too. It's fine to ask her out, uh, you know, find out what she has to say and find out whether she is otherwise engaged. But, um, but I, you know, I, I think there's, there's something you, you ask me if there's a bigger problem for you here because you see that there is, you know, there is or you wouldn't ask me. And so I think that that's what you should be looking at. Find out why you're living in your head so much. And if it takes a therapist to do it, don't be afraid to ask for help. That's it for me. I got to stop right there. But I will be back tomorrow. I'm Andrew Claven, and this is The Andrew Claven Show. Hey, if you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, give us a five-star review and also tell your friends to subscribe too. 
We're available on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, The Matt Wall Show, and The Michael Knowles Show. Thanks for listening. The Andrew Clavin Show is produced by Robert Sterling and directed by Mike Joyner. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Senior producer, Jonathan Hay. Technical producer, Austin Stevens. And our supervising producer is Mathis Glover. Assistant director, Pavel Wydowski. Edited by Adam Saievitz. Audio mixed by Robin Fenderson. Hair and makeup is by Jesua Alvera. Animations are by Cynthia Angulo. Production assistants, McKenna Waters and Ryan Love. The Andrew Clavin Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2020. CNN's Don Lemon and two talking head sidekicks spend nearly a minute and a half of airtime laughing about how stupid they think half of Americans are. We examine why leftists love humanity, but always seem to hate actual humans. Then liberal Democrat Alan Dershowitz demolishes House Democrats' impeachment case in a little under three minutes. Liz Warren throws a Hail Mary, Hillary threatens to run again, and Drag Queen Story Hour is coming to a public school near you. Check it out on The Michael Knowles Show.